Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 808 in the Twin Cities, folks. 81 degrees. Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz to talk politics. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? Very well. Uh, Once again, um, extraordinary events this week. It was an exciting week. Not the best of weeks, I would say, for Donald Trump. All right. And, and there were so many um, things that happened. Um, we want, I'd like to save Mr. Scaramucci till a little bit later in the hour, but, but let's, let's talk Are about... Are able to talk about him today without censoring everything? Well, I, you know, and I don't... Uh, just one thing about that, you know, Mr. Scaramucci gave an on-the-record interview, the new communi- White House communications director, that has the language is... Uh, there are all these, there's what, five words or seven words George Carlin said you can't say on TV and radio. All of them were in this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say is that most of those words there in the, in the content of his discussion, um, we can't and we, for, le- for legal reasons and also don't want to use on this station. Absolutely. So we'll definitely get to that. But um, really, um, you know, once again, sort of surprising announcements from the White House. And we actually talked about this one um, earlier in this show. Uh, the announcement, abrupt announcement on Twitter, uh, and apparently only one of the generals was clued in on this, that transgender people would no longer be able to serve in the military. And no one knew this was coming, including the thousands of transgender people that are currently serving with distinction in our military. Yeah, this was a week. In fact, in fact Wednesday was the day that Trump took a pretty significant um, attack on, let us say, GLBT um, rights in the United States. That we many people um, heard about about the tweet saying that transgender people would be barred from the military. I'm going to come back to this in a second, though. Um, but the other thing that was happening is that the Obama administration had issued an interpretation of the 64 Civil Rights Act and had said that even though the word sexual orientation um, was never actually used in that act, um, the word sex was instead as, as one of the words banning discrimination. The Obama administration's Justice Department said, we believe the word sex also includes sexual orientation and had basically argued that, that, that discrimination based upon gender orientation, sexual orientation, violated the 64 Civil Rights Act. This week, the, in a um, Second Circuit Court of Appeals um, brief, um, the Justice Department filed, a, uh, again, filed in a brief and said, we don't believe that the 64 Civil Rights Act um, protects against um, um, sexual orientation as a form of, of discrimination. So it, it was pretty significant. I mean, and how, how big a deal is that? That's actually a pretty significant deal because generally what will happen, and I'm going to say generally, but I'm going to point out where I think it's not going to happen here. Generally, when the Justice Department comes in and says in a brief, it says that we believe that our, our interpretation of, of, of the law 
um, um, means such and such, generally courts will defer to to the Justice Department in terms of how they interpret the law unless there's some good reason as to why they shouldn't. For example, that the plain language of the law is clear or something else. And so, so this is a pretty big deal. Now, having said all of that, that, that Wednesday was the day that the Trump administration significantly retrenched on GLBT rights, or at least tried to, I'm going to also argue that in many ways those efforts may fail. First off, one of the things that we, what was, came out on Thursday is when the general said, well, the only thing we've heard about the ban on transgender is from a tweet. Um, the generals have said, we're not changing our policy at this point um, because we don't have an official order um, that was done in a proper way through the president, through, through the Department of Defense that came to us. So we're going to continue at this point the policy of allowing for transgender people to be in. And that is because they're serving. That's right, continue serving. And that is probably the correct answer because, again, one of the classes that I teach in law school is administrative law. And when you want to change rules and regulations, you have to go through a formal rulemaking process. And sending out a tweet is not, or, um, is not a way to actually change the rules. And the Trump administration has done nothing since, that, since Wednesday to actually move through the process of formally changing the policy. And so unless the Trump administration actually does it, that's not going to change. And then when we get to also this issue of the Justice Department saying the 64 Civil Rights Act doesn't protect um, um, discrimination based upon, um, you, know, you, know, you know, sexual orientation. And th- but that's just a memo they wrote, right? That's, a, that's just a brief, right? It's the brief they wrote. So, uh, it will, and will, will this, this court decide on that? The court's going to decide upon that. And I so would they'll say, decide if, if, if the 64 Civil Rights Act applies to gay people. Correct. And given the fact that several, three years ago, what, three years ago it was, or four years ago, three years ago, that the U.S. Supreme Court said that, that the Constitution protects um, the right of same-sex couples to marry, given the number of lower court decisions that are now protecting um, people based upon sexual orientation, I would not be surprised um, if, if the, by the time that Second Circuit decision is done, we will see the see the Second Circuit, and I think by the end of next year, we're going to see the U.S. Supreme Court come in in terms of saying that no, in fact, either discrimination based on sexual orientation violates the Constitution, or it is protected under the 64 Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. So even though the Trump administration or Trump himself um, has has spoken on a couple of these issues, it may very well be moot in the sense that. I think that the, the, I want to say this, the sense of progress um, that this country has made in terms of the issues of sexual orientation, GLBT rights, um, has changed enough that I don't think Trump can turn back the clock. Um, a- another area um, that, that Trump has, um, Congress, and we, we'll get to health care because that's another remarkable thing, but also on Russia sanctions. The president has, has been very outspoken saying he doesn't want them. The Republican House and Senate is ignoring him. They are. And the Senate, for example, passed it, what, 98 to 2. The House of Representatives, it was by a similar lopsided margin, basically barring the President of the United States from, 
from relaxing sanctions against against Russia. Um, the president, I, I haven't now. I've, I've seen conflicting stories in the last twenty. About whether hours. he's going to sign it or not. Yeah, whether he's going to sign it. So I don't know what he's going to do. But even if he doesn't sign it, the votes are there. You know, it's called if he vetoes it. Even if he vetoes it, there's enough votes in in the House and the Senate to override his veto and to impose it upon him. And this really speaks very loudly in the sense that the, the, that even the Republicans um, in the in the House and the Senate are sufficiently concerned about Russian interference in our elections, or at least viewing Russia as still a, an adversary that, that they want to impose the sanctions. And again, another story which I don't think people caught a lot this week is that the Russians retaliated this week um, 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 against the United States. When Obama was still president, the United States had expelled several Russian diplomats, um, and Russia responded by by doing some expulsions this week and by confiscating some property in, in Russia and ordering some some American embassy people out. So, so this is this is a, a an issue that's really heating up um, beyond the headlines that a lot of people have been paying attention to. All right, we're chatting with Professor David Schultz uh, on another extraordinary week in political developments. Uh, we want to take a very quick break. Then, when we come back. Um, uh, I'd like to chat about Jeff Sessions and the president's relationship with his attorney general. Uh, the president been, has been bashing Mr. Sessions all week on Twitter. Mr. Sessions remains the attorney general of the United States. Keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. 819 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz. Uh, I am confounded by the the president's attacks on his own attorney general uh through twitter uh in speeches in responses to questions and sessions apparently uh, you know in most situations don't cabinet officers who are under public attack um by their boss resign i would say under almost every circumstance in a situation like this sessions should have tendered his resignation um I was going to say, if not this week, the previous week, but clearly by the time he got to the point where, what, midway through the week, Trump is describing him as weak, expressing no confidence in him and so forth, he, he should have stepped out. I mean, in many ways, he really has very little authority at this point to be able to act. And the, really the question is, how much longer can he survive, especially in light of the fact that so many other people have, have resigned or are the other shifts that are going on in the Trump administration. I think the only thing that's protecting him at this point is the fact that people like Lindsey Graham and many of the Republicans in the Senate um, have said that. I think, well, I think Lindsey Graham's phrase is, I think I um, has said, what, they'll be held to pay or something like that yeah. um, if, if Sessions um, um, is forced out or something. In other words, Jeff Sessions is the attorney general and former senator is somebody who is revered by the conservative wing of the party. He's very well loved. Remember, he served in the U.S. Senate, um, and, and again, it's very, it, revered is probably the best word here, has an incredible amount of support, and whether you agree with him or not, um, he is somebody who I think many people take very seriously and hold in, in, in lots of esteem for being a, I would say, um, having a distinguished career in the U.S. Senate as a public servant. But Trump seems to be, I mean, 
upset is the understatement of the day. You know, mad that that Sessions did what I think was the right thing, of course, when when he said that when Sessions said he's going to recuse himself regarding the 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 decisions regarding. Um, Robert Mueller and the hiring of a special prosecutor and about the Russian inquiry, you know, given the fact that Sessions potentially is also you know, a target of the investigation. Um, and I would say that in general, you know, Sessions has done what you would expect a, a conservative attorney general to do. But Trump doesn't seem to like him. Um, attacked him this week for saying, well, why aren't you investigating Hillary Clinton, et cetera, et cetera. So Which that, is, I mean... That's sort of water under the bridge. <laughs> it, it is water under, under the bridge that we are six months, you know, what are we, eight months away from the election, nine months away from the election at this point. Uh, I mean, there's, 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 there's nothing to investigate at this point also, is that the FBI Director Comey um, essentially cleared, cleared Hillary Clinton. There's, there's really nothing there. But the point is, is that there's, it's almost like Sessions is what, a zombie, walking dead at this point, that you sort of just think at any point Trump is going to fire him or Sessions is just going to have enough and walk away, but yet he persists and stays on, and you just sort of wonder how effective can he be as an attorney general when he can't speak for or adequately represent the president of the United States and the president doesn't support his own attorney general. And, and, and is, is doing so... Publicly, I mean, it's yeah. the degree of how public this is that yeah. I just I just can't recall ever seeing anything like it at all. I've never seen anything like this in terms of um, in my lifetime, and again, you know, from my knowledge of presidential history, I can't think of any situation where a president came out in a situation like this where they so openly attacked one of their own cabinet officials and that. And didn't just basically say, um, call them in and say, I want your resignation or, or you're fired or something. It's as if he's letting Sessions sort of hang in limbo here. And it's odd because, but, again, it, you know, Sessions could also resign himself. Of course, that's my point, is that Sessions could walk away. And that's the part that I find so, so quizzical here, is why he would want to stay on, given the, the workplace conditions that he's facing at this point, where the President of the United States essentially doesn't want him anymore. So I, I, I find it so very, very odd. The President doesn't want him, hasn't fired him. Sessions knows that he doesn't have the support of the President, but won't resign. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just an incredibly strange scenario for the Attorney General um, or anybody to be in. Right. And, and, and another thing, I mean, I, 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 maybe this is overstating it, but Donald Trump owes Jeff Sessions an awful lot. Senator Jeff Sessions was one of the very first and for a long time the only you know, member of the Senate that supported him. Yeah, I, I mean, he was a very, very early supporter. I was going to say, he's one of the first people who actually gave legitimacy to the Trump campaign. When you're right, I think he might have been the first senator to actually endorse him. You know, so you, you, had, a, you had a mainstream um, conservative Republican coming out and supporting Donald Trump. Trump, in many ways, owes Sessions an incredible amount. Um, and I should also say that Sessions... Um, um, has presided, and again, the six months or five months he's been attorney general, um, has taken positions that would be very much consistent with with what you would expect a conservative Republican or what Republicans, you know, would would, would be expected to take in terms of positions on the um, on on drug use, positions on as we talked about before, you know, gender orientation, discrimination, transgender issues, and so forth. 
So it's not like Sessions has gone out of his way um, and has sort of, let's say, deviated in an unusual ways from a Trump agenda. Uh, it, it seems, and again, and, and unless there's something else you and I don't know, you know, part of it just seems to be the the um, the, the problem about the fact that the Justice Department is doing this investigation with Robert Mueller of, of, of Trump's involvement with, with with Russians, and Sessions again rightly recused himself um, from the from um, from making any decisions in that matter, which I say is, is is exactly the right answer. And so I will hand it to Sessions. He did exactly what you would expect and followed the appropriate protocols for how to handle these kind of matters. Right, and I guess it, I guess in, it appears just from what I've read that in Trump's mind. Had it not been uh, Jeff Sessions not had to recuse himself, there wouldn't it be Robert Mueller. Yes, but there'd still be an investigation. There still would be an investigation. Something would be happening. You might not have the investigation set up the way it is right now, um, but there probably would still be an investigation. The difficulty is now is that since Sessions has recused himself from making these decisions, this falls to. Um, um, somebody else within the Justice Department to make decisions regarding the investigation and overseeing of Mueller. And if Trump wants to get Mueller fired, which seems to be part of you know what's motivating some of this, Sessions can't make that decision. Trump can't directly make that decision to fire Mueller. Um, he has to go through somebody in the Justice Department. Again, this is the whole point that I was making before when we were talking about you know the tweet about transgender in the military, is that the president actually has to go through rules, process, and procedure to do certain things, and he just can't sort of call up Mueller and say, you're done um, at this point. Um, he has to go through process. And, and on top of which, I think, unless they can find some good reason as to, to dismiss Mueller, um, it's going to be very hard to do that. And Mueller is incredibly well-respected, again, also by the Republicans in the, in, the, in the House and the Senate. And so he has tremendous support even within the Republican Party. All right. Chatting with uh, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. It is 828 right now. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, still, we still need to talk, obviously, about um, the extraordinary defeat of the skinny health care bill, uh, as well as this remarkable communications director uh, who was um, uh, – who's – profanity-laced rant to one reporter still has people kind of shaking their heads in disbelief. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's 8.33 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz. Uh, all right, the spectacular collapse of the skinny healthcare bill after a series of other votes, uh, that were largely defeats for the president. The one that was not a defeat was to put it back into, uh, for debate, to have the, the healthcare repeal be up for debate. And that was only enabled by the dramatic return of Senator John McCain, uh, who just two weeks ago was diagnosed with brain cancer. I mean, it's all, it almost played out like a movie. It did, I mean, if you were going to write a script for it to try to get sort of maximum sort of hit in terms of drama, we had it this week, right? So you have John McCain coming back in, you know, casting the critical vote 
uh, get it to 50-50, of which then actually you then get the vote uh, by the vice president to allow for proceeding of debate, and then you finally get John McCain in this very dramatic story of which what Amy Klobuchar has told about, where he comes up to her and says, I'm going to vote no, and essentially kills, at least for now, um, any hope for Trump and for the Republicans to get rid of the Affordable Care Act and bring about reforms. Uh, although we're already hearing from the White House, uh, now, of course, there's the new chief of staff, General Kelly, uh, under the, the new communications director, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, indicating that they may try again here. Um, and, and this was – for seven years, the Republicans have said they're going to do this. Uh, that they were working on this. They've got the presidency. They've got both houses of Congress. How how devastating is it for them to not get this done? Well, it is pretty devastating because if we think in terms of the fact that this has sort of been the signature thing that Republicans have had have wanted to do for seven years, get rid of it. It was a defining um, campaign promise for Donald Trump. The fact that they have failed to do this, I think, is pretty significant. And now we are six months plus, almost six and a half months into the Trump presidency, and he has yet to be able to show a single major legislative accomplishment. Um, this is pretty. This is pretty serious for him. The fact that that he hasn't been able to pull off something that he most wants. But I think even more seriously going forward is the fact that. There is, and I think I've said this at least a couple of times on the show since you know since he's become president, is that he doesn't seem that as the president to be able to learn from past mistakes in terms of being able to say, okay, what did we not do right? What did we do wrong from this legislative failure in terms of being able to move on to the future to be able to uh, to pass something? And I think that's part of the issue here is that they're not learning anything from it, and I don't think at this point um, that the prospects for them changing the Affordable Care Act in terms of the way they want to go are going to work. I say that because I don't see, barring some major changes, Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins, two of the Republicans who voted against it, um, I don't see them changing their minds. Um, John McCain made it very clear that he said that... one of three, though. He's three. And it looks, it looks like Murkowski and Collins are, are a, a lock and... Right. Something big has to happen to change McCain. And then there are, there are a lot of people, apparently, this bill was so unpopular amongst Republican senators, there was so much concern about it, but yet they these senators were worried about what happens the next time they're up for a re-election. Exactly. McCain, having just been diagnosed with, with um, cancer and who just was re-elected, I believe, in, in 2016, um, he's got another six years. He does, right, right. And what I was going to add to this is that you're not going to be able to move Collins or Murkowski. You've got other senators who are still concerned. McCain has said that the flaw with the Affordable Care Act was that there was no Republican support, wants Democrats involved in any kind of changes here. But even having said that, it's not clear how much longer McCain's going to be able to be in the Senate simply because you know he's going to be undergoing some treatments and so forth, and so his what his role is um, will be compromised, which means there'll be uh, you know there'll be almost no sort of um, margins for error. In fact, there's no there was almost none now. Uh, there's going to be even less margins for error, and so now the question becomes: What's the the second direct? What's the second option? Do the Republicans? Um, were they just singularly about repealing, 
or do they now want to actually make serious changes to fix it? Because, because of course, it does need to be fixed. And if so, then what has to happen is that they have to talk to Democrats. Right. And another point I saw somewhere is that the bottom line is that for a lot of people, even people who were once former critics, large parts of this, for all its all the problems it has, there are large parts of this that are enormously popular. Yes. And that once an entitlement has been given, it's awfully difficult, if not impossible, to take it away. Right. And this is one of the things that the Republicans were concerned about seven years ago, is if they couldn't repeal it right away, that it would eventually get um, majority popular support. And that's where we are now, is that unlike when Obama was president of the United States and public opinion polls suggested that a majority of the American public did not like the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, now it enjoys majority support. There are people in places such as Kentucky, Appalachia, um, a lot of parts of the country which are Republican-leaning that are benefiting tremendously from this legislation. Um, And it's going to be hard to pull it. And I think a lot of Republicans have realized the fact that if they went through with even the skinny repeal, you know, what were the estimates But the skinny repeal? It was, what, what 15 million people were still going to lose their health insurance? And so there are, there are a variety of, of concerns here I think the Republicans had that they really can't um, afford to repeal this because it's going to hurt them politically and hurt many of their constituents. Um, but having said that, the Affordable Care Act does need a fix. It does need to be a fix in terms of the the increased premiums for those who don't qualify. And, and, and the instability in the insurance markets, right. there aren't enough providers. I mean, right. there's, there's, there's problems. There's, there's clearly major, problems. major problems. Right. It's all fixable. There's no question about it's fixable, um, complex but fixable. And that becomes the question now. Are the Republicans going to, in, going to basically say at this point, okay, the Affordable Care Act is here. We have to figure out now how to actually fix it and to make it work. And I think that's going to be the big choice here. Now, Trump has said that he's going to let the Affordable Care Act die. It's going to collapse on its own accord. I don't think it's going to collapse on its own accord, at least not right away. Um, But there are also a lot of administrative law and rules that are going to require him to actually do certain things. And so, again, the question is, what can he possibly do or what is he going to be required to do in order to be able to support the act? All right, chatting with uh, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Uh, you're the McCarthy Auto World time check is now 841, certified Cadillacs on sale, up to 40% off the original MSRP. Check out McCarthyAuto.com today. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, some closing thoughts with Professor David Schultz about uh, the new makeup of the White House and can they move forward with the legislative agenda that the president is promising and promised all along uh, during a successful campaign for the presidency? 845 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz. Um, obviously, personnel turnover at the White House. Previs is out. Reince Previs is out. Anthony Scaramucci is in. Uh, and... This is a guy who seems to out-Trump Trump in this plain-spoken uh, – plain-spoken is really not the adequate word. Yeah, that's a nice way of saying it. It's a nice it. way of saying it. I, I, it it's remarkable what um, – you know, what, hours after he'd been appointed uh, the new communications director, he gave this scathing interview to the New Yorker magazine that was on the record in which he used – the most vulgar of terms to describe 
both um, Reince Priebus, who was then still the chief of staff, but also um, uh, Bannon, Steve Bannon, who was also an advisor. I'm just using crude, vulgar language we cannot begin to say on this radio station because I'd get fired. I was about to say, you'd get fired, and I think WCCO would go broke with the size of the fines from right. the FCC. But, but, but this was an on-the-record conversation. Yes. It, it just um, – and obviously this is this – is, and apparently there was one report that, that, that President Trump actually liked the off-color rant. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about um, Scaramucci? Oh, then another twist is that um, in, the, in the New York tab- tabloids, there are now pictures that when Scaramucci earlier this week was – you know, on aboard Air Force One with Donald Trump, his wife, who was filed for divorce, was giving birth to their son, who he still hasn't seen. I mean, it's, you just can't make this stuff up. It's just crazy. Yeah, this is bizarre stuff. Okay, there's, there's a lot of bizarre things, but I'll start off by saying that Scaramucci also has no experience in terms of communications. You know, and so we now have somebody who has no experience running the communications department. And given given his interview with the New Yorker, that kind of proves, in one sense, why you know, you know why somebody who doesn't have a background in communications probably shouldn't be the communications director because you generally don't talk to reporters um, and talk to the American public that way. So the question is going to become how effective you know he's going to be in terms of of a communications director. And it sounds like at this point, what Trump wants is somebody who's you know you know who's I mean, pugnacious at, at the least would be it would be again the the, the, the nicest way of describing it. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch, you know, what direction the White House goes now in terms of trying to do its messaging, uh, where it's been ineffective for the previous six months. I can't see how putting him in place is going to improve um, the the messaging or the narratives of, of the Trump administration. On top of which, I think what I'm finding fascinating is how. Immediately upon his appointment, he goes after other people. And I think what we're seeing in the Trump White House right now is everybody going at it for themselves. You know, there seems to be, you know, everybody is blaming everybody else or or um, really not working together as a team. And this goes back to Donald Trump, who really needs to exhibit some type of leadership to hold the administration together. And there doesn't seem to be anything holding his administration together. But I guess, I guess you know, there have always been reports about rivalries and, and sure. infighting, you know, amongst the staff. What What's unbelievable is that it's being done so publicly. Right. And in... And, and the language that he used, yes. And profanely. It's yeah. just, um, you know, it's and for folks that are listening and haven't read it, I mean, you can Google it. As I said, we can't do it. But, I mean, I, that's what's so amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, think you're, I think you're right. It is, that, again, it's that degree of infighting. But, again, I still come back and say it, it's still leadership, that, that even if you have rivals and rivalries within an administration, if you have the President of the United States still setting the general direction, setting the general tone and saying, here's the agenda, here's what we're trying to do, here's what we're trying to accomplish, um, that becomes at least something to help um, focus focus the rivalries. But here there seems to be nothing. There seems to be Trump showing no loyalty to his staff and his staff um, um, showing no loyalty to one another. And so it, it's, 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 it's really just kind of like a, what a confederacy of, 
of, of individuals where nobody seems to be working together at this point. And that, I think, becomes, again, one of the problems going forward is the fact that the Trump administration doesn't have a focus, doesn't have really an organization in terms of how it works together. Now, I understand that what Trump likes that style in the business world, uh, that's, and, and maybe or maybe not that successful in his own business, but that's clearly the model that he's created here is not working for him in terms of governance. And, and he, it doesn't seem like he understands even the not-so-nuanced uh, situations involving key players. Uh, for instance, he, he took um, Senator Lisa Murkowski, who represents uh, the state of Alaska. He, he publicly chastised her and called her out on Twitter for not going along with, I think, the vote to, mm-hmm. to put the debate on, and then she was ultimately one of the, the three, along with McCain and Susan Collins, to vote against the skinny bill. But she, he publicly chastised her, and apparently at a lunch at the White House says it was her duty as a Republican to do this. And you know, she said, well, it's, you know, my uh, according to people who were there, uh, according to a leak, <laughs> um, my duty is to the people of Alaska who I serve. Mm-hmm. And Trump seemed – then calls her out on Twitter. Trump seemed to not realize that, you know, a few years back, Lisa Murkowski lost uh, a primary to a, a Tea Party candidate. The Republican Party abandoned her, mm-hmm. and she wins in a write-in vote. That's right. Oh, she won a write-in vote for the U.S. Senate, and her name is not an easy one to spell, Murkowski. Yep. And she wins. I mean, the, she doesn't owe the Republican Party anything. No, she. I mean, she's she is she is nominally Republican at this point, but you're right. She doesn't own them anything. Um, and also, I was going to say for for somebody Donald Trump, who's famous for being you know from the art of the deal, supposedly a great negotiator. You don't negotiate with people by browbeating them um, publicly, by, publicly, <laughs> and by threatening them. You know, the best negotiators know that good negotiations are win-wins. You want to create situations where everybody wins. Um, you would call her up and say, "What do you need? What do you want uh, in order to be able to vote yes on this bill?" Um, and that's the way to be able to pull it off. And so, so he's been very unsuccessful, um, even in de- terms of demonstrating the skill that supposedly made him famous. Now, I don't know if you also saw the other part of the story, is that after he called her out and threatened her, um, she actually retaliated against him in a different way. She's the chair of, I think, I can't remember which committee it is. Um, and Trump has the Interior Committee. Interior Committee. And she basically tabled the appointments that Trump um, wanted to have come through that committee. Right. And so, so she's the chairman of this committee. She also, he also had the Interior Secretary call her and... Uh, and basically say, you know, if you don't vote for this, you know, the Interior Department is going to like, you know, hold withhold all of these other things. And it's like they didn't kind of think, well, gee, she's the chairman of this committee. Yeah, she so she's, she's the one who has actually more power. Yeah, I, think, I mean, it didn't seem to understand the, the way it works. Yeah. At the end of the day, her committee controls the purse strings for the Department of Interior. Um, they can actually make life miserable for the Interior Department. The Interior Department... Um, can't do that to her. She can also do things like hold hearings, 
hold up appointments, et cetera, et cetera. So it's about not understanding the fact that Lisa Murkowski, uh, like I said, is not really a Republican in terms of owing the party anything. She's looking out for the best interests of her own state, which is what she's supposed to do, and the fact that she controls as a chairperson enormous, enormous power um, over the Interior Department and can basically um, slow down or stop almost anything the Trump administration wants in that area. Right. And and another thing, I mean, you know, in terms of Senator McCain's vote, apparently the president called Senator McCain, you know, shortly before he cast that decisive vote to try and twist his arm. What leverage does the president have over Senator McCain, who he has said is not a war hero because he ended up being captured? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, zero leverage. Joel, and that's what made me think at some point is that, you know, how much of what McCain did was payback? You know, we're never going to know. But the fact that I think McCain might have been the very first person when Trump ran for president, he went after when you're right. He said, you know, real war heroes aren't prisoners of war, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember what a year and a half ago, that was the first controversy that you and I talked about with the Trump campaign and thought it was going to blow up in his face. And so there might have been a certain amount of satisfaction there for McCain casting that vote that basically gets even. Again, we're never going to know, but I wouldn't be surprised that that's part of it. Right. And, and so it's, it's this tactic of, of publicly uh, calling people out or publicly calling out Lisa Murkowski or some of these strategies, it's – you wonder if, if there's not evidence now emerging that that in, in, in a setup in Washington where there is a balance of powers – this will come back around, and it already has. I think it already has. And I think also what we're starting to see at this point is that Trump threatens people, and they defy him, and they get away with it. He has very little leverage and control over these people. And I think going forward, again, we talked about it earlier, you know, the Russian sanctions bill at this point, I think we're going to increasingly see the fact that Trump has less and less leverage and less and less ability to be able to to try to move things, you know, with people because he has done nothing to make their life easier, done nothing to make it possible for them to support him. And, and who was his, his only ally in the U.S. Senate a year ago when he was running Jeff Sessions, who he's belittling mm-hmm. and humiliating as his attorney general? I mean, it just doesn't seem like there's a path here going forward with these attacks. I agree, I agree. And, and sort of top one last thing in here, I think after this week, I'll be curious to see what the public approvals are for Donald Trump, because I know they've sunk even more at this point. Um, and he just doesn't seem to enjoy congressional support, broad public support. He's under war within his own administration. He's under war within most of the media. Um, he's got an incredibly embattled presidency, and I don't see a path of turnaround at this point. But he seems to thrive on it. <laughs> he seems to thrive on it. He seems to it. thrive on it. You know, and, so, and, and he's found a way out every other time. Right. But, but it's just, you know, I mean, Sessions is the one who could probably have helped him. That's right. That's you know, right. I, yeah, I mean, he seems to be alienating the people who most could help him. And, and including people like um, Jeff Sessions. Well, it is it is amazing to see. And, and as I said, you know, I mean, we've talked about this, and it seems like every time you think it can't get more remarkable, uh, it does. Yes. Um, so anyway, um, uh, anyway, Professor David Schultz, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate your time this evening, as always. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. You're welcome. Good night to all.
Okay, absolutely. The one and only David Schultz of Hamlin University. I uh, want to thank him as always and always check out his blog uh, at uh, at schultzestake.com. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, I can tell you this. Um, I just want to make sure. What is our out time here? 58.40. Okay. Uh, Esme Murphy with you for one more minute. I uh, wasn't sure I had a different time there. Um want to thank you for tuning in. want to thank the producer of this show, Susan Blanche, and also want to give a big shout out to uh, studio coordinators Jonathan Lowe and Kevin Reed uh, for keeping us on the air. I want to invite you to tune in to WCCO Television tomorrow. Uh, WCCO TV Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Mike Augustak and I will anchor the news. We always have a great time and do I have some interesting guests. Uh, we will have actually one of the first supporters of Donald Trump in Minnesota, a continued supporter. He was just at the White House a few days ago, and that is Mike Lindell, the CEO of My, My Pillow. And then also two supporters of Cambria, Camp Cambria for Juvenile Arthritis, Justin Morneau and Mariel Hemingway will be live in studio. News Radio 830 WCCO. All star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.